Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we gather here this morning in your presence, exulting and joyful that we are your children and that you have made it so, Father, that you have, you have changed us from, from darkness to light, from, from strangers to citizens of your kingdom. And this has made all the difference in, in life. And what we're asking for, Father, as we come to this Word, is, is that this, this Word will trumpet forth, Father, truths in such a way that with ears that hear and eyes that see, we will turn toward You with, with, with greater confidence and with greater faith and with greater love in our hearts. Our prayer, Father, is to live out the ramifications of every single Word that You have blessed us with. And to this end, Father, we, we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a lot of the, uh, the big lessons that I've learned about life, I learned them in sports growing up. And uh, one in particular, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, our wrestling team, is, uh, is we're up against our arch rivals, Laurel High School in Laurel, Maryland. And... Uh, I'm, I'm going out on the mat to wrestle a kid by the name of Paul Dubrow. He was a pretty good wrestler. He was a, you know, had, had been wrestling uh, for a long time. And, and we get out there and we're kind of locked up. And, and as I'm about to take him down, we go out of bounds. And as we, we, we go out of bounds, he turns and he pops me with his elbow right on the snout, right on the nose. And uh, uh, I got to take down the two points, but then I went down to the mat. And uh, grabbed my, my nose, and uh, the referee saw what had happened, uh, awarded the points, gave Paul a caution, and then sent me over to, uh, to the trainer. So while I'm standing over the trainer, all I can see is stars. And uh, the trainer's looking, and I, I, I keep checking for blood, and there, there's no blood. I thought he broke my nose. 
And uh, my coach is standing there, and he can tell that I am more focused on the pain than going back on that mat. And he grabs me by my headgear, and he turns my face towards his, and he says, you have better get tough right now. And you had better get your head in the game. You understand? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and went back out, and I guess I, it, it did the trick. I, I, you know, I, I beat this kid nine to nothing. But ever since then, those words, and I, and I had heard them before. I had heard them playing football. I had heard them from other coaches. You've got to get your head in the game. I, ever since that moment, though, I have thought how important it is that we have our mind on what it is that we're doing, that we have our head in the game, that we understand what's happening around us. When you become a Christian, when you decide to become a Christian, you are, in fact, deciding to be a different kind of an individual, a different kind of a human being. And to that end, you are blessed with, with all kinds of benefits to help you become conformed, conformed to the image of Jesus. You are given resources from God as a disciple in order to meet any enemy in any fray that you might experience in this life. Now, to help us get our mind around this, Paul gives us the metaphor of this, the, the armor of this Roman soldier. And that's Paul's way of saying that here is what you need not to live a defeat in a defeated way in this low-grade war called life. Now, what we want to look at this morning is the helmet of salvation. And we're going to do it very simply by just looking at a couple of questions. The first one is this. What is that helmet of salvation? What is, I, what is the helmet of salvation? And how do, how do you obey that? Well, one of the operative words, as you can imagine, is the word salvation. It is a very, very broad word. If I were to uh, give you a definition, a literal definition of what salvation it means, it means that you are literally being rescued from a peril. To be saved is to be taken out from under a peril or to be taken out from under a threat to your life. Therefore, spiritually speaking, it really does, in terms of salvation, it refers to everything that God does for us to help us be conformed to the image of Jesus. But here's the thing. Most of the time, we don't take that word as, 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 um, in a biblical sense. And let me say it that way. To, to be saved biblically means something more than what it typically means in the Christian world. The predominant view of salvation, of that word, is that's what happened to me in the past. We'll say things like, when were you saved? Referring to a, an event in the past. Or in answering that question, you would say, you know, I was saved when I was 16 years old. Or I was saved at a gospel meeting. Or I was saved uh, through a Bible study that, uh, that the preacher had in my house. And in all of that, you know, we're looking back to a moment in the past. And that's correct. It is a moment in the past. But it's much broader than that. It, it's much deeper than just a moment in the past. Biblically speaking, in the biblical sense, salvation has a past and a present and a future. Now I want you to listen to these verses. The first one, Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to listen to what Paul is saying about salvation. He says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my, own, in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. And then we go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through His life? And then drop over to, uh, to Romans chapter 13. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul is still writing here. He says, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of what? Armor of light. Biblically speaking, salvation has three tenses. And I think that that's really, really important for us to understand if we're going to get our mind around what it means to have the helmet of, the helmet of salvation. Now, here they are. You can write them down on your outline. First, first tense, a past tense. When you become a Christian, when you are making that decision to live your life differently, to be a different kind of a human being, you are being freed up or saved from your guilt that comes because of sin, and you have been pardoned from that guilt from sin in a manner of speaking. Which means that at a point in the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. There was a legal hold that that sin had on you. There was, there was a, a legal claim that that sin had in you. And when you came, became a Christian, when you, you, you became saved in the past, that's when you were saved from the penalty of sin. But not only is there a past tense to salvation, there is a present tense. That's when you become a Christian. God puts His Holy Spirit in you in order to help you be conformed to the image of Christ. What He talks about in the middle of Romans chapter 8. You know, there was a time, uh, and in fact probably even in my own lifetime, when it was common to teach a kid to swim by taking him out to the middle of the lake and doing what? You throw him in, right? And it was sink or... This is what might work in swimming. And, I, you know, I have some doubts about that too. <laughs> What might work in swimming does not. Let me say that again. It does not work in the Christian life. You are not abandoned to sink or swim when it comes to becoming like Jesus, to being transformed into His image. You know why that's so? Because you're going to sink. You're going to sink. And this is why Paul reminds the disciples in Philippi that God is working in them as they are working out the implications of being forgiven and saved in Christ. Work out your salvation because you know that it's God that's working in you. And then there's a past, present, and then what's the third tense? Future, right? In the past you were saved from the penalty of sin. In the present you're being saved from the power of sin. That is, you are being sanctified you're being made into the image of Jesus by God's Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But in the future, you are going to be saved from the presence of sin. You know, there, there is this day, and I, I, I don't know how often you think about this. I think about it a lot. I think about it most of the day. That there, there's going to be a, a day when all of the worries that I have during the day are going to be gone. They're going to be void. They're going to be nullified. They're not going to count anymore. They're not even going to exist. The things that I worry about that are attached to, to harm coming to my loved ones are the kinds of things that I'm concerned about in, in, in people's lives or the, in, in my own life. 
including things like health and, 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 and re- retirement and, and, and things like that. There is going to be a time when there's not going to be cancer or leukemias. There's not even going to be the whiff or the scent of death, not a trace of it. But we take that one step further, and this is where it becomes really this, this complete joy in me, is when I know that sin is an impossibility in me. I think about that all the time. And John, I think, thinks about it all the time as well. And in a passage we're going to look at in depth tonight, First John chapter 3, look at verses 2 and 3. He says, friends, now... We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. You know, the reason that we need to get this straight in our thinking is the fact that we are saved from sin. And sin is a big deal. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. It is a big deal. Sin is the major destabilizer of life. Sin is the big separator from God. Sin and separation from God lead to the disintegration of humans and creation and culture. I mean, even nature gets entangled in our fall and pays a price. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that it's groaning under the weight of its decaying and disintegration. And when humans separate from God, everything begins to go downhill. From Everything from measles to racism is the result of sin. Everything from hypocrisy to hurricanes in nature is the result of sin. Sin is the big breakdown. And that's why one of the most famous stories, and I think one of the most fascinating stories in Luke, in fact, the entire Bible, is the prodigal son. That's what it's all about. Think about what's happening with this family. The son is living in the father's wealth, right? He's at home. He's living with the father. Everything that the father has is his. He already owns a percentage of the wealth. So technically speaking, it's already his. And this kid's life begins to unravel when he asks for what he already technically owns, but he wants to own it without the presence of the Father. He wants to take what is already technically his and and do with it what he wants. He wants to be one of these these self-independent contractors in life who wants to go and do what he wants to do because he wants to do it and nobody can stop him, not even God. He He wants to have it independent of the Father. And so he says to the Father, and this is a Mark Absher paraphrase, he says, you know, I, I don't want you around. I want you to get your clammy hands off of my life. And as soon as he gets it, the disintegration sets in. And here's this good Jewish boy that's working and eating with the pigs. In their mind, complete disintegration of his identity. Every single problem, church, is the result of separation from God. And until we see the problem of sin, we don't see the need for the helmet of salvation. We need to realize that we're saved from sin in processes. Think of a big oil company off the coast 
that begins to pollute the Gulf because of some mistakes and errors in the infrastructure. It's not really that hard to imagine, right? And they're under the penalty of law for the accident, and a huge, hefty sum of money has to be paid in fines and legal fees in order for everything to be taken care of legally. And when it's paid, when all of that money is, is paid out, the law no longer has any hold on that company. Now with us, the same thing on the day that you were forgiven by God's grace. Christ stood in your place, paid the penalty for your sin. And so we can read in places like Romans 8, you know, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. If you're in Christ, you are not condemned. If you're in Christ, no one can look at you and see prisoner. They don't see condemnation. And God loves us like He loves Christ. That's what that means. Meaning that there's no end to it. But then we go back to that company that's polluting the Gulf. And they've been brought out from under a peril to their company. When all of the fines and the penalties were paid, the law no longer has a hand on them, in a manner of speaking. But by, by no means is the process finished up. There has to be the cleanup that has to take place because they are polluters. And they have to stop polluting. And they have to stop pumping all of the bad stuff that has caused the problem in the first place. And again, like human beings, with us human beings, it's the same thing. Not only are we saved from the penalty by the cross of Jesus, but we are also saved from the power of sin. In being cleaned up and transformed and sanctified and conformed into the image of Jesus by the Spirit and by our mind understanding these words and, and our own strength and our own volition, our own will being given to that task. You know, I don't know about you, but I think that humans personally are, are they deal with a tremendous amount of pollution in their life. And when you decide to become a disciple of Jesus and you are saved by the cross, you continue to be saved as that pollution is being pushed away out of your life. You stop being a polluter. There is a cleanup process in your life. And you don't have yet the perfection of being just like Christ with all of His characteristics and with all of His attributes. But each day you're getting a little bit closer with God's help. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. With unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His likeness day by day with this ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So if that's the case, and we are not just saved in the past from the penalty, but we are being saved in the present from the power of sin because we know one day we're going in the future we're going to be freed up from the very presence of sin how do you put that helmet on how do you obey that well there are a couple of other places believe it or not in the new testament we haven't looked at it just yet where this kind of armor is mentioned romans chapter 13 verse 12 the night is nearly over the day is almost here so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now to me, all of these texts seem to point 
towards what we, all the salvation is pointing towards, and that is when it is complete and the, and the presence of sin is no more in our lives. These texts seem to look towards the future. So in a practical way, how do you put this helmet on? I mean, just today, we're leaving church and we're going out to lunch and we go, you know what, I need to put on the helmet of salvation. I need to get my head into the game. How do you do it? Very simply, I think it's this. You be a person who lives in the future. You be a person who lives in the future. You live in anticipation that the irresistible light is going to come crashing through the ceiling one day. And everything, everything will be different. That Christ will come in time and spirit. Someday it will happen. Someday the curtain is going to come down. Someday there's going to be that final act. And in that light, everything, everything, friends, that is tainted with sin is just going to kind of fizz away. But living in that kind of anticipation for a glorious future is a hard thing to do when you're not living with the facts of salvation for your past and present. In other words, your head's not really in the game. You, you know, one of the biggest struggles we have, I think, in thinking about the future is if our present is not really in good shape. When we're jammed up and the way that we think about our, our salvation in the past and the way that we think that God are, is not working in our present, it's really hard to think about this glorious future. You know, for the past couple of decades, the exact same thing has happened to every Sunday morning in the Absher household. I get up at 4 to start my day. I walk the dog. I drink the first cup of coffee of the day. I come home. I then go in, shave, shower, have that second cup of coffee for the day. And then I go into a dark bedroom because Ellen is still sleeping. And I have that third cup of coffee. <laughs> and by the dim light of the closet, I mean, that room is dark. That's why all my suits pretty much are dark and my shirts are light colored. And the tides go with everything. I go into that dark bedroom and, I, and, I, and by the dim light of that closet, I choose a, a, a suit, a shirt, a tie, some socks, shoes. Can you imagine what I would look like if I was thinking that the only existence I'm going to have for that day is going to be in that darkness? What I would look like, what I would be dressed like? Instead of this kind of light with two spotlights several hours down the road from that time in the closet getting dressed? If I was not thinking about being in future light and, and dressed as if I would always be in you know, the dark, what would I look like? You might get this preaching to you every Sunday morning. And all the church said, hey, <laughs> hey, Jack. <laughs> Putting on the helmet of salvation means you're living now in light of the future. It means your head's in the game. You know about your future when you will have this new body. What we look like now is just a baby picture of what we will look like in the full, mature, resurrected body. And a future of perfect relationships. You know, think, think about that for just, just a minute. 
there is going to be a day when the, the best love that you experience in this life right now, I mean, it, it, it could be from, from parents or a spouse or your dog. In comparison to what's to come, it's like an oil rag to a wedding dress. There's going to be this time when your relationships are, are just going to be wonderful and perfect and wholesome. There, there's going to be a future without fear of anything. No fear. Health may fail in this life, but it doesn't mean that you're finished because you know what's coming down the road. You know what God has done for you in the past and you know what God is doing for you right now. And because that's true, you know that even though you may be, you, you may be failing in your health or in your mind, now you're not finished because what's happening to you now is a sign that that hope in the future is right there, along with the fact that God said it, so it's true. That's the deal. It's understanding what it is that God is doing in your life and seeing the power of it and seeing the strength of His might that it, as it's being exerted in you and realizing that there really are all of those glorious riches that are promised in Ephesians that are available to us when we have got our mind and our head in the game and we are living as disciples and we love what is in the future and we're wanting more than anything else to be, to be freed up from the power of sin in this life knowing what it's like up ahead. I have no other explanation. I have no other explanation for why all of those early Christians were able to go into that arena, that Colosseum, and face those wild animals and to sing hymns as they're being shredded by an evil and, and brutal and cruel uh, an empire that had more in common with a rough beast than anything else. They had the helmet of salvation on. And they could face anything. Because they knew what God had done in their past and He knew what the, God was doing in their present and they knew that the hope of the future was, as, was more true than their own death. And you think about all of the things, all of the enemies that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis that you encounter, all of those frays that you get into those temptations that seem to come at you all the time, especially as we talked about with the helmet, the, uh, the, the, the shield of faith. When you put your foot on the wall and you're going to do something great for God, that's when those, those fiery darts, those flaming arrows are fired at you. It's, it's understanding what is at play in these moments. That it's not just you sink or swim. It's not just you on your own merit, on your own strength, because every temptation, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, and this is no, this, this is no secret, but every temptation that Mark Apsher has ever tried to face on his own by what he's able to, the strength of his two hands or what he's able to think up between his two ears, I have sunk to the bottom. Sunk to the bottom. But in, in fully you know, understanding what the gospel is all about, it's not just that we were saved, but we are as a people being revolutionized. 
You were once in darkness, Paul will say to the church in Colossae, but now you're light. That's why when Jesus says, be a light with your good deeds in the community, you know that it can, it's true because you've been saved. Get your head in the game. Get your head in the game with the helmet of salvation. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe you have never even experienced that past salvation, being saved in the past because of a moment in which you said, God, I'm yours, and I want you to be all that there is for me. That's called repentance. It's, it's deciding like the prodigal son. My life has disintegrated enough. I've been devastated enough by this. Enough is enough. I'm guilty. I want to be saved from that. I want to turn it around and head back towards the Father's home. You can do that this morning. You get your, your sins washed away through baptism. All of that stuff gets left in the past. And Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says that when you are baptized, not only are your sins forgiven, but God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we've been talking about the morning, the Spirit, the Spirit plays such a vital part in our becoming transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. That can happen for you this morning. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Or it may be that you've been really struggling with some issues in life and you need counsel, you need prayer, you need, there's something that's going on. Your head's not been in the game. The helmet of salvation has not been on all of the ramifications of salvation, of being pulled out from under that peril. That's not coming to play in your life right now, and you need the prayers of the church for it to be so. That can happen for you as well this morning. Our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Come down and talk to them. Let these needs be known as we stand and sing together. I am weak.